this week, we're kicking into week two of, love, of It Never Fails, which if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, it talks about, some people call that chapter the love chapter because it's all about the love of God and really how it's supposed to look in our life. And so... Uh, Last week I was sharing with you uh, just about this. And so again, if you missed the message, I would encourage you to get online and watch that. But really the scripture I started with last week, and I just want to highlight the first part of this scripture. It comes out of Proverbs chapter 4 and in verse 23. Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live, he's the one who wrote the book of Proverbs. He's also one of the wealthiest people to ever live. And so it's amazing how wisdom and wealth kind of go together. And uh, so... If you're lacking some funds, grow in some wisdom. You're like, well, how do I do that? Start reading Proverbs. It's the book of wisdom. And that's a good place to start. It's amazing. There's 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. And we have no more than 31 days in a month. So here's an easy Bible. You're like, I don't know what to do. I'm supposed to read my Bible. I don't know what to read. Today is the 17th. Go read Proverbs 17. And whatever day of the month it is, read that proverb. It's a great place to start. And I believe that it will help you. But the Bible, and and so the the instruction here in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says this. Three very important words. says, above all else, first, foremost, do not pass go. Start here. Do not go past this. Above everything else, guard your heart. Guard, watch over, protect, defend, maintain. You can put all kinds of words in there and they all apply to what this word guard means. Watch over your heart. Now it's not this physical piece of your anatomy that it's referring to here. It's actually referring to your innermost being. The, the, the seat of all of your emotions and your thoughts. And it's really the, the most genuine you part of you. So it's not just saying go to the doctor and get your heart checked. Although there's nothing wrong with that. That's not what it's talking about. It's really talking about a spiritual life, an inward life. And so last week I shared with you. And, and this is why this matters. Is that any garden will only produce up to the quality of the soil that the seeds get planted into. And so I shared with you last week about this. And, you know, that seeds in and of themselves, the Bible actually talks about this. It says that the ability of the seed to grow is actually in the seed already. But how many of you know that not all seeds grow the same? The soil matters where the seed gets put or planted you know, it, 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 many of you probably remember we had the, I have a five-year-old son. And so here not too long ago, they, you know, he's in kindergarten. And so, of course, they do what? They do the little lima bean thing, you know, and he's like, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. And we're like, leave it alone, leave it alone, leave it alone. Guess what he did not do? He did not leave it alone. And I find dirt everywhere, you know, and I'm like, son, you're got to let the seed work, Right. But the soil matters. Well, the soil that the word of God gets sown into is our heart. That's why Proverbs tells us to watch over the garden of our heart. Sometimes we need to go do a little inspection. Why? Because we don't want other things robbing the nutrients that are in our heart. You know, you can have weeds in a garden. Well, you can have weeds in your heart too. And so it's important that we understand this, but the soil, in other words, our heart, because God's word is infinite. 
The Bible is very clear on this. Is that God's word has abundant power. It has amazing ability to work in our lives, to work in our heart, to actually fix things that may not be what they could be. But it's not the word's problem many times. Many times it's that we have things in our life and in our hearts that are actually crowding out the word of God. Mark talks about this, and we may look at this in a few weeks. Uh, it gives us the parable of the seed. I would encourage you to go read it. Because it gives you four examples of when the seed was planted. And it tells you why the seed worked and why the seed didn't. And ultimately Jesus comes back and says the seed is the word of God. And so this is why our heart matters because we can come. I mean it's amazing to me. I've been around the church and really. And I really don't like to think of it in that way. But I've been around people who profess themselves to be Christians. And it's amazing to me. It never fails. In the exact same service you have some people who will say. I got nothing out of that service. And then you have in the exact same service, sometimes on the same row, somebody will say, that's the best service I've ever been in in my life. And how many of you know, it actually didn't have as much to do with the surface or the the service itself as it did with the heart of the person. That's the difference. And that's why Proverbs tells us is that we need to guard our heart because the reality is the condition of our hearts determine the effectiveness or the fruitfulness of God's word. Now, I know that we want to be faithful, but God is not going to ask you, were you faithful? He's going to ask you, were you fruitful? Now, faithfulness is a part of fruitfulness, but you can be faithful at the wrong things. And not be mindful, am I actually growing and becoming who Jesus died for me to be? Because this is a process that goes on and on and on. And it begins and it really, really everything starts in our heart. And the heart is the most valuable piece of ground that we will ever own. Ever. Because it affects every part of our life. Every single part of our life is affected by our heart. And so here's a truth for you. Is that our external life is less important than our internal life. You know, a lot of people spend a lot of money on the external They go to the gym and they eat right. I know some of you are on a Daniel fast right now. And in case you're not familiar with that, it's where you eat fruits and vegetables and nuts. And I had had a conversation with somebody last week and they said, man, eating this way is expensive. Yes, it is. Costs a lot more than McDonald's, right? It is. But yet, we'll do all of these things. People spend, I mean, billions upon billions of dollars in our nation. To look better, to feel better. And there's nothing wrong with those things. I think we ought to take care because we are stewards, not just of our money. We're also stewards of our physical bodies. But sometimes we'll spend so much time and so much care and effort fixing this. And we never stop to think about our heart. Like the the real inside, because there's inside turmoil And we'll put on the front and we'll play the game and we'll come to church and we'll smile and we'll say, bless you, doing good. I'm highly in favor of the Lord. But on the inside, you just want somebody just to be honest with you that you could just drop your guard and be like, you know what? Life sucks. (laughs) Pardon my French. 
But let's be honest, we all have those moments. And I know I just offended some of you. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> no, Paul tells us that, that it's, he tells Timothy, he says that physical training is good. We ought to take care of our bodies. I mean, we ought to. But it's not the most, but I don't want to pay attention to my body so much that I ignore the internal part. Because it's the most valuable. Paul says that training for godliness is much better promising benefits in this life and in the one to come. I've got news for you. You can go to the gym every day. You can look like a million dollars. But when you go to heaven, that body ain't going with you. It's not. But yet, the Bible tells us, Paul gives us the instruction and says that, that uh, training in godliness has benefits now and later. So I can double up on my, my benefit. Yes. I want to do that. And so we need to have this understanding. And so I want to show you a, a passage of Scripture where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Now, you may not be familiar with who the Pharisees are. They were the religious elite of the day. They were considered perfect because they followed the law to its just to the most smallest little detail. And so we're going to read, we're going to be in a couple passages today, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 15. So you can turn or click or scroll or however you engage with your Bible this morning. But just for context, I want to read to you Matthew chapter 15, verse 2. So some Pharisees, these religious elite people, the people that everybody thought had it all together, that they were considered like, here's everybody else and here's them. Like unattainable, they had dedicated their life to serving the Lord. But they come to Jesus and they ask. And they say, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? It says, for they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Now, hygiene is good, right? I think we're all probably way more aware of that than we were a year ago at this time. I mean, it's important but yet, it wasn't about the ceremonial hand-washing. It was about the tradition. In other words, it was the form that mattered to them, not the function. They wanted to look the part. They didn't really care about what it accomplished. And so, that's the background of what I'm about to read you. And so, if you want to go read this chapter, go read it later. But here in verse 10, we're going to start reading in verse 10 here of Matthew chapter 15. Because... There's some dialogue that happens between Jesus and the Pharisees, but we're going to fast forward a little bit and we're going to jump to when the disciples say, Jesus, what were you talking about? Right? And so in verse 10, Jesus calls the crowd together and he says, listen, and try to understand. Because the Pharisees, again, were all about the external. It's all that mattered to them. He said, listen and try to understand. It's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. Because the Pharisees were external 100%. They didn't that's all they knew, that's all they cared about, it's all they focused on, and they're saying that's going to defile you. And Jesus says it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. He says you are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Why? Because the Bible tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will begin to talk. Like how do I know what's in my heart? Listen to yourself. 
It's not that hard to figure out. What are your priorities? What do you talk about? Because that tells you what's important to you and that tells you what's in your heart. And so it's very important that we understand this. Jesus says, it's not just about what we put in our mouth. Because the Pharisees would say, well, you can't eat this. You can't do that. There was all these ceremonial type of things. And there were very specific uh, rituals and customs and traditions and, and all of these things. Now, you have to remember who Jesus' disciples were. They were like fishermen. They're used to eating lunch with fish scales on their hands and probably some gooey sliminess that is associated with fish. They're not too concerned about hygiene because they're like, I've been fine up till now. Give me some bread, you know. I mean, that's, these weren't the, the smoothest of guys. They're probably a little rough around the edges. So they're not too concerned about all the hoopla. All they know is they're hungry and they want to eat something. And yet Jesus takes this moment to kind of take what the Pharisees are showing and really being and trying to get a point across to those who are listening to him. Now it picks up here in verse 17. Jesus is continuing his thought and he says, anything that you eat passes through your stomach and then goes to the sewer. That's a nice way of saying that. It says, but the words that you speak come from the heart and that's what defiles you. For, for from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, idolatry, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. And it says, these are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Now, Jesus just gave a whole list right there. But we have to understand is that it is not just the external that matters. We can give way too much attention. And I don't just mean in the physical body. I mean, even like how we look at church, how we act around church folk. Like we're one way at home, but we're another way at church. I got my church face. I got my church family. But when we get in the car, things gonna change. Like we might not even get out the parking lot. Like I remember, and I'll just tell on myself and my family. I remember going to church, yelling and screaming, get to church. Everybody hold hands, act like you like each other. Get back in the car. Let's just pick up where we left off. Don't care about what they're talking about in the church. That's what I'm talking about. Well, I'm with my people and I, you know, I just got to cut loose. Okay, but your cutting loose has some consequences too. And you have to know that. Why? Because cutting loose affects your heart. And it doesn't mean, well, you mean God just doesn't want me to have any fun. That's not what I'm saying. There are things that my kids want to do, like go play in the fireplace while it's on. Sounds like fun. <laughs> but thankfully, I'm not like, stick your hand in there and find out. It ain't that fun. Told you so. Like, I don't think so. Like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, there are some things... That I'm just not going to let my kids do. Right? A few weeks ago, sitting at the house, my daughter's energetic. I'm like, quit jumping on the couch. Quit jumping on the couch. She figured out about five seconds later when I literally caught her upside down on her way to the floor. And I'm like, and she's looking up at me like. But see, God is a good father, 
And he does want us to have a lot of fun. And serving the Lord is a lot of fun. He just doesn't want us to get hurt in the process. And have ramifications that we don't see longer term. And so he what he wants to deal with our heart. And so now I'm going to give you a, a little warning here. Buckle up a little bit. Because here's the truth. We all have a little bit of Pharisee in us. We all do. Because we all think we're better than somebody else. Like we mess up and we're like, well, but I'm better than my buddy Joe. <laughs> like Joe's my safety net. Like, you know, I feel good about myself because of him. Like when I feel bad about me, I call him. I'm like, hey, what you doing? <laughs> start, start telling me some stories because I'm going to start feeling better. That's your Pharisee. Your, 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 your pretty robes are coming out. You know what I'm saying? Because that was one of their big things, how they dressed. Your robes are showing. So Jesus is about to just lay some truth on the Pharisees. And, and so, I mean, these are like bombs, like atom bombs going off in what they have lived their entire lives for and towards. And in Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 1. So Jesus is speaking to the crowd again, those who are listening to his teachings. And he says, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. And he says, so practice and obey whatever they tell you. Do what they tell you to do. He says, but don't follow their example. You know the old saying, do as I say, not as I do. That's what Jesus is telling them right here. Listen to what they teach you. Just don't be who they are. And he's about to tell us why. He says, for they don't practice what they teach. And it says that they crush people with unbearable religious demands. And they never lift a finger to ease the burden. They never lift a finger to even ease the burden. Why? Because they were always hounding people. Well, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And you, what about this? And hey, what about that? They were always jumping on people's cases for what they weren't doing. And if we aren't mindful as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, if we're not mindful of our hearts, we will use our religion, whether you realize it or not, we all have degrees of it, as a way to justify us not walking in love with the people that we interact with. Let me give you another example of like what I would call like a Pharisee kind of thought. Well, if they love the Lord, they wouldn't fill in the blank. But the Bible's pretty clear about judging. And it says that we should be careful when we want to assume that we know how to diagnose somebody else's heart. How can we know what is in somebody else's heart when half time we don't even know it's in our own heart? So maybe it would do us better to stop being so critical of people and pointing out their flaws so that we feel better about ourselves and start actually examining ourselves a little bit and saying, okay, Lord, I need some help. I need you to speak into my life so that we can actually begin to live a life of love that we are called to live. And, and this is important. And, and so this is what I would, it's somewhat of a joke, but, but there is some truth here. Is that sometimes we all need a little Pharisee-octomy. We got to get some of that Pharisee out of us. 
We've got to be careful. Why? Because when we're saying things in a judgmental way, guess what? That's what's in our heart. That's what's in us. And so we have to be careful. We have to be mindful of these things. In Matthew 23, just a little further down, I'm going to read two verses, verse 23 and 24. Jesus speaking about the teachers, the Pharisees here, he calls them hypocrites. I don't think I need to define that. I think we all know what a hypocrite is. But he goes on, he says, for you are careful to tithe to the tiniest income from your herb gardens. Now, let me explain what was going on here. They would literally get a scale and take like leaves and weigh them. Like on our scales would be point zero zero zero, And if it went a little bit over, they're going to go take a little off the top and say, okay. Because they wanted to be so precise about it. Because they're like, well, the Lord asked for 10%. I'm going to give him 10%. Not 10.00001. 10%. And they would really do that. And so it had to be exactly right. And so he says that you would even tithe even the tiniest bit from your herb gardens. He says, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. See, if we're not careful, we can just reduce Christianity to just some behavior modifications, some check boxes. I did this. I did this. I showed up to serve on my team. I did my tithe. I did these things. Okay, I'm good. Okay, but what has God done in your heart this week? Because you can do all of those things and not experience the blessing of the salvation that we have been called to. And here Jesus is saying that we cannot ignore the more important aspects of the law being justice, mercy, and faith. Do not ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, faith. He says, you should tithe, yes. He says, but do not neglect the more important things. He goes on, he says, you are blind guides. He says, you strain your water so that you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Now, why is that significant? Because both of those were forbidden to be eaten under the law. And Jesus is saying, hey, you're majoring on the minors. You're trying to make sure you don't eat a gnat while you're... Feasting upon a camel. So they, this had much more weight in their context than it does to ours. But either way, the law said they could not eat either one. You didn't eat insects and you didn't eat camels. It was a hooved, a forked hoof. So, you know, a hoof with a forbidden to be eaten under the Old Testament. And so they're living by that. But he said, hey, you would go as far as just to strain your water, but... You're doing this. See, one of the attributes and one of the things about the religious leaders, and you can see this throughout the Gospels. Every time they show up, it's always a show. Everything was. When they prayed, go read. When Jesus talks about how you should pray, give, and fast, he says, hey, you should do it privately. Yeah, that the Pharisees, it was like Super Bowl halftime show, like, woo! You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was, they were putting on the show. And Jesus is like, don't be like them. Why? Because it's got to get into our hearts. And so they were so concerned just about the outward that they never allowed God's truth to actually penetrate and actually to change their hearts. See, the beauty of the gospel is not that we change. The beauty of the gospel is that we are transformed. 
And there's a huge, massive difference because I can change, but I cannot transform. And a transformation is totally different. Why? Because it takes and requires the power of God to work in my heart and in my life for it to make a difference. It's not me doing it. It's God doing it through me. Massive difference. Now Jesus goes on here. And he continues speaking about the Pharisees. In verse 25, it says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? He says, hypocrites, you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy. You're full of greed and self-indulgence, selfishness. It was all self-serving. It was all about them. It was what can I get? He says, so you have all of these things. He says, you're blind Pharisees. He says, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. First wash the inside. First clean the inside. First pay attention to your heart. Why? Because when your heart is right, your behaviors will automatically begin to follow. We're too concerned and too focused on changing our behaviors then we are actually looking to our heart because if our heart is right, the behaviors are a natural byproduct. And so this is important that we know this. Jesus continues. He's not done. He goes, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law? He says, he calls them hypocrites again. So in case anybody wasn't sure, I think we know Jesus' opinion on them. I think it's the fourth time in this chapter he's called them hypocrites. If I remember, he says, but it's such a powerful picture that he paints here. But he says, for you are like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, or, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. He says, you're like a coffin that's beautiful, it's ornate, it's got beautiful carvings and it's fancy and everybody's like, man, that's. Somebody spent some money there. But on the inside, you know, every coffin looks the same, right? There's no life in there. And Jesus says, this is what you're like. You're like a beautiful, ornate coffin with dead man's bones on the inside. He said, outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. That word lawlessness simply means I live my way. I do what I want to do. I don't, I don't care what God's word says. I don't care what God thinks. That's what lawlessness really is. Now it has many appearances, if you want to call it that. But he, he's talking to the Pharisees here, and he says that your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and, and lawlessness. So what is the lesson that we learn? Now, thankfully, Jesus wasn't talking to me. <laughs> I'm glad he was talking to the Pharisees, Right? I might would have to have a little like, you know, come to Jesus meeting with Jesus and be like, Jesus, that was a little harsh. I did not appreciate that language, sir. Can we talk about your delivery a little bit? We live in a PC culture and I need you to tone it down a little bit because that hurt and I didn't like it. How many of you know that truth confronts though? Now it confronts in love. But truth does confront, and Jesus made no bones about it. And if you really want to get very specific, 
The only time that Jesus was ever harsh with anybody was religious people. He was very gracious and grace-giving and mercy-filled and kind and loving to people who didn't know any better. He wasn't running around calling out people's sins. Hey, I know what you did last night. I know what you did last night. Hey, you better watch out. (laughs) He didn't do that. But when it came to people who professed to be godly, that were hypocrites, yeah, he'd call them out. Had no problem. And so it's important that we understand this. But the lesson that we can learn is this from this. From this chapter, what we've just read, is that we can try and fix our behaviors when we should be looking at the condition of our hearts. Because when our hearts are right, our behaviors will follow. It is God's design. If we're going to live the way that God intended and designed us to live, we have to understand that it starts from the inside first. Now, I don't have time to unpack this completely, but you know, this is how salvation works. God gives us, I talked about this last week, God gives us a new heart first. He didn't say, get your act together and come back in a year. He said, no, I've got to change your heart because you're hopeless without it. Now I've got to put a new heart in you because that's going to give you the motivations to actually do what I'm actually asking you to do. It's God's design. We're created to live from the inside out, not the other way. And yet culture wants us to live externally and then say, well, eventually, hopefully my heart's going to change. It's not going to happen. God says, get transformed in your heart. What? The way you think, the way you reason, the way you process things. How do we do that? By the word of God, by the help of the Holy Spirit. This is something that we have to do. You know, I started kind of in my recap of last week, but... You have to know and you have to recognize that your heart's health, I'm not talking about your physical heart, talking about your spiritual heart, your spirit man, is a major factor in God working in you and God working through you. Because I I, I have a core conviction is that I believe that God wants to do great things on the inside of every one of us. I'm sorry, that I believe that God wants to do great things out of us but he first has to do something great in us. God can't do through us what he doesn't do in us first. And that's the way it works. God, ha- God starts on the inside to begin to work and to develop. And the Bible really, and the Bible even shows this. And I'm going to give you an example of this as I wrap up this morning. But, and so it comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read the very last verse because chapter 12 and chapter 14 are considered the spiritual gift chapters. Because they're like, one has a gift for this and one has a gift for this and there's a gift for this and it's one body and all of these things. And yet at the very end of the chapter, so it's like the highlight reel of Christianity of this particular church. I mean, they were the spiritual church in town. And yet, so they had all of these outward signs of their spirituality, if you will. And yet Paul writes to them and says, hey, I want to show you a better way. So in verse 31, the last verse of chapter 12, and he says, look, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. There's nothing wrong with spiritual gifts. We need spiritual gifts. God gave them for a reason and they are to function. But he says, but now let me show you the, uh, let me show you a way of life that is the best of all. Let me show you a better way. These are important Yes, we need them. 
We should believe God for them. Yes, absolutely. I will never back away from the spirit-filled life. And it doesn't make you weird and it doesn't make you strange. And if it does, you're doing it wrong. Just, just being honest with you. The Holy Spirit doesn't make people weird. He makes you powerful. He empowers you to do things, sure. But yet even the Bible tells us is that, look, is that we need to what? strive to live this best way. So we flip over to chapter 13, verse 1. And it says, if I could speak with all the languages of earth and of the angels, but didn't love others. He said, I would be a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. He said, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secrets plans and I possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love, I would be nothing. I mean, he just rattled off some pretty impressive stats right there. If I had all of these things. I would still be nothing. It says if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body. He says I could boast about it. Because that's what human nature does. Human nature wants to brag. And talk about what we've done and what we've accomplished and who we are and what our gifts are. And you know why I'm special. And you are special. You're special with a purpose. But the Bible here tells us is that, is that we could boast about our natural giftings, the things that God has given us, even our spiritual gifts that God has placed in us. He says, but if I didn't love others, he says, I would have gained nothing. It's like when you go to the pep rally and the guy with the symbols is just, you ready to sit by somebody? Like, you're like, oh, not there. He says, you can do all these things, but if you don't love, that's all you are. You're a bunch of noise. But you're not making a difference. You're just making some racket. See, we're called to live from the center of love. I mean, Jesus loved people. The greatest commandment, Jesus said. We'll talk about this in the next couple weeks as well. The religious leaders came and said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He said, oh, it's simple. It's two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second is very similar, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the greatest commandment. It actually says that the law that the Pharisees were trying to hold to, it says that that's the rung that they hang on. The whole Bible hinges upon love. Why? Because, because God loved, he sent Jesus. I mean, it is the central theme of all of Scripture. There is no way around it. There is no alternative. And this is who we're called to be. Now, walking in love doesn't mean being a weenie. It doesn't mean getting run over. No, because sometimes love says, don't talk to me like that. <laughs> like, just because I love you doesn't mean that you have the right to treat me any way you want. That's, that's not what the Bible talks about. Oh, but Jesus was meek and mild. Let me remind you, this is my favorite scripture of Jesus. Favorite hands down. Jesus, the meek and mild Savior, the Lamb, turned into a, a lion one day. In the temple. And the Bible says that he's watching them sell goods and buy and trade and doing all these things. And he's sitting over in the corner watching. And as he's watching, he's thinking. And he's braiding. This is my favorite picture of Jesus. Hands down. Hands down. Jesus was about to go Rambo. You know what I'm saying? 
And he's over there just like, you're going to get a lash. You're going to get a lash. <laughs> you're going to get about three. <laughs> and uh, he's braiding a whip. This is Jesus, meek and mild, full of love and compassion. And, and Jesus goes full on Rambo. He goes and starts flipping tables. He starts whipping folks. It says he chased them out like he wasn't playing. Like he didn't just say, hey, get out, please, if you could. Hey, guys, I think it'd be a good idea. Can I teach you why it's wrong to be in the temple? You shouldn't be doing this. Hey, could, would you mind? It would be great. I'd appreciate it. I don't think he asked questions. So Jesus, full of love, braided a whip and hit people with it. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's the best thing I heard at church all morning. If you go get a whip, it, don't be blaming me. I'm just saying. But yet that is Jesus. And even in love, I'm so I just say that because when we start talking about love, it's like, oh, well, that just means I just lay down and just let people abuse me. Nope, not at all. Not at all. Why? Because when you put yourself in a place of abuse, guess what it does? It affects your heart. We'll talk about this later, too. Is that when you get wounded, it, it affects your heart. And it doesn't just affect that relationship. It affects every relationship. So when we're talking about walking in love, what we're talking about is how we interact with other people. Doesn't mean I put myself in harm's way. But it doesn't change the fact that we're still called to live a life of love. Now, last week I, I, I told you about this and, and we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 8 from the Amplified Bible. And I told you and I actually had it with me and I showed you I had these little card, this little card that sits on my desk. And I took this, these four verses and everywhere that it says love, I put I. It's like I made it a confession. And it's on my desk because that's where I need to see it. I get phone calls or I get frustrated or, you know, I'm just as human as anybody else. And there are days that I need to be reminded of who I am. And who I'm called to be. Because living a life of love, I can't do it by myself. I know that. I'm just not that compassionate. Personality-wise, I'm a get-it-done kind of person. Most some folks over, I don't care as long as we get it done, <laughs> we win, right? I mean, that's... But I took these verses years and years and years ago, and I just made it a confession, and it has been on my desk for a long time. And so uh, we're going to put it on the screen here in a minute, and we're going to read it out loud together. Because you need to understand this is who you are. But I also had them make up, print up some that are available at the information center so you can take them. You can put it on your bathroom mirror, put it on your refrigerator if you still do that. Put it in your car, put it on your desk. I used to have it taped right at the bottom of my monitor because I looked at my monitor a lot. So I'd be on the phone getting frustrated and I'd just look down and be like, oh God, oh Jesus, help me. <laughs> And so I want us to read this together this morning. Again, they're available at the information center. You can grab one on your way out today if you would like one. So can we go ahead and put that up on the screen? I want us to say this together. But I don't want you just to read words. 
I want you to think about that this is who God has called you and asked us to be. And he has enabled us to be. So when you read it, think about this is who I am, not who I want to be. Because the reality is that this is who you are. This is. It's on the inside of you right now. If you're saved, if you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, God put a new heart on the inside of you. And with that new heart came new desires. It came new ability. So this isn't who we're trying to be. This is who we are already. We just need the help of God to help us. Now, I've highlighted the first couple of eyes because I want you to think about that I, like me, myself. <laughs> me, myself, I. This is who I am. There's one other thing or two other things that I've highlighted, and I don't want to stop when we start reading. And it's about midway through it, and it says that God's love in me. It's not that I'm trying to do this or that you're trying to do this. God's love in us enables us to do this. And at the very end, the last thing that's highlighted is that love, and it really says my love will never fail. But I want to remind you, it's not just your love in and of yourself. It's God's love working in you. Because it's amazing how God's love will tell you don't say that. Like you're about to say, you're like, oh, I got him right where I want. I'm about to shut this argument down. And the Lord just go, nope. You're like, dang it. I had him right where I wanted him. And I've had the Lord do that. Kind of say, hey, you need to watch your attitude. You need to watch what you're about to say. But it's because these verses, I've put this in my heart for a long time. So let's read this together. So here we go. Ready? Begin. I endure long and impatient and kind. I'm never envious nor boil over with jealousy. I'm not boastful or vainglorious. I do not display myself haughtily. I am not conceited, arrogant, or inflated with pride. I am not rude, unmannerly, and do not act unbecomingly. I, God's love in me, does not insist on its own rights or my own way. For I am not self-seeking. I am not touchy or fretful or resentful. And I take no account of the evil done to me. I pay no attention to a suffered wrong. I do not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness. But rejoice when right and truth prevail. Because of God's love in me. I bear up under anything and everything that comes. I am ever ready to believe the best of every person. My hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. And I endure everything without weakening. My love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. That's an amazingly powerful portion of Scripture when it becomes personal. Because we don't want to be like the Pharisees who say, like, hey, I'm called to love, but I'm going to leave that. Somebody else has the mercy gift. That's not mine. I didn't read anything about a gift that was given to anybody here. It says the love of God will motivate me to do things that I would not naturally do. That compassion will rise in me even when I, I mean, I've had the Lord tell me to do something for somebody. That I thought they didn't deserve it. And I'm not, I was like, no, nope, not doing that. The Lord didn't say anything else to me. He didn't say, well, you better do it. So now I have a choice. Am I either going to do what the Lord tells me to do and act in obedience? Or am I going to be in disobedience? 
I don't want to live in disobedience because I know what comes with that. And sometimes I, I ask the Lord, why? Why should I do that? I don't want to do that. They don't deserve it. I got all my reasonings, got all my case against them, why they don't deserve what the Lord instructed me to do. He doesn't seem to care about my argument. He's never responded to me about it. His instruction just stands there and stares me in the face. Am I going to be obedient? Am I going to do what the Lord's asked me to do? This is an important thing. This is who we are. It's not who we're trying to become. It is who we are. We're never more like God than when we love people. Ever. I mean, we can serve people and not love people. Like I'll just give you an example. Throughout the hurricanes, we were serving food, right? So I know many of people were here, man, they were scooping food. But how many of you know you can just be scooping food, trying to hurry and be like, all right, let's get them out, get them out, get them out. But what about just seeing somebody as a person and stopping and loving on them and, and connecting with them and saying, hey, what's going on? Can I pray for you? That's actually taking a moment to love somebody. Because I'm task-oriented, right? That's just my personality. But sometimes the Lord has to stop me and just say, hey, That's not the most important thing right now. You need to pay attention. Justice, mercy, faith. David, don't get so so distracted by your doing that you miss the people. That's why I need the love of God in my heart. That's why you need the love of God in your heart. Why? Because it helps us to be who we're called to be.